0: up in a word of prayer.
1: compassion towards the weak and the afflicted. Taking on mortal flesh, you walked in perfect humility, righteousness, grace, and truth. In full obedience, you died a cruel death on the cross on our behalf. Through your perfect and most beautiful example in life and in death, and by the miracle of your resurrection, we now have full assurance of your victory over the grave and of a blessed eternal home with you. Like the women who on the first day of the week took spices to your tomb, may we also seek you and find the stone rolled away. Remind us that we are risen with you, and help us to crucify our own sin, wickedness, covetousness, and malice, surrendering our hearts and minds wholeheartedly to you. We humbly ask that you renew in us an irresistible desire for your will, so that we may live a life of obedience to the glory of Jesus Christ our Lord who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit now and forever. Amen.
2: Amen. Church, let's stand and worship. Word of God says, You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might uh, comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not Be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted, sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known and all the earth and shout and sing for joy O inhabitant of zion for great in your midst is the holy one of israel amen church let's let's worship this morning amen together I once was lost I once was lost in darkest night yet thought I knew the way the sin that promised joy and life had led me to the grave I had no hope that you would own I ran my hellbound race in different Hallelujah! Jesus is my life.
3: Isaiah 53, this is the word of the Lord. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before them, before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of the dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, and with the but with the rich at his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin... He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a great portion, a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors and he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors.
2: Amen. Let's continue worship. Before. Before the throne. him would not perish but have eternal life. John
0: 3.16. Romans 6.23.
2: For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ in our Lord. Um, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10, 9. God shows his love for us that we are still sinners. Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 1 Peter 1.3
4: be seated the scripture reading I'm going to share with you is from the book of Matthew specifically chapter 28 verses 1 through 9 deals with the resurrection of Christ and goes as follows now after the Sabbath and toward the dawn of the first day of the week Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him.
0: Amen. Christ is risen. Amen. What a sweet time to worship and what a A sweet video that was with the kids reciting scripture. They did an excellent job. It was, as a parent, I think you know how hard it is to help uh, children memorize scripture. But they actually pick it up really quickly because that's how their minds are. They just have a better memory than we do. But with that, let's uh, spend some time in prayer. Shall we, if you would, please bow your heads with me. Lord Jesus, we, as we think about the resurrection, and as we think about uh, these women who have witnessed an empty tomb, And I've seen this angel declare that Christ is risen and sends them to go and tell his disciples, and they see Jesus, and they get down and they worship him. Lord, what a response. What an appropriate response. The resurrection of Christ demands worship. And Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity to do just that this morning. Lord, where would we be without the resurrection of Christ It is the resurrection of Christ that has transformed our lives. And as the scriptures testify, without the resurrection of Christ, there is no forgiveness of sins. There is no redemption. There is no eternal life. And while the women who knew him and while his disciples who walked with him for three years had his profound lack of understanding of the purpose of Christ. They may have understood to some degree who he was, but they could not fathom that the Son of God, that the Christ, would suffer and go to a cross. They could not understand the fact that the that Son of God must die. And it wasn't until you rose from the dead that they came to understand who you are, and that your doing these things was of absolute necessity. And so, Father, we thank you for giving us an understanding of your scriptures through your Holy Spirit, for clarifying to us that the Christ must suffer and must die, but he must also rise again from the dead. And so we worship you, Lord Jesus, because that tomb is empty. We worship you, Jesus, because you are the God of the living, and even now, you are at the right hand of God, and you are interceding for us, and you are also with your people. Lord, another appropriate and demanding response to the resurrection of Jesus Christ is is obedience. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ proves that he is, in fact, the Son of God. Then that places a particular demand upon a person. That is the demand to come and follow Jesus. Lord, and there are some this morning who are here who do not know you in a personal way who do not believe in you. And Father, we do pray, God, that you would cause them to believe, that you would grant faith, that you would open eyes to behold the glory of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for those who are not here with us, who need to hear the gospel message. Lord, we pray that wherever they might be, that they might hear the gospel message even if it was through a complete stranger sharing the gospel, Lord, that they might hear the gospel today. God, we pray that you would also cause them to believe. Lord, help us to follow you, to trust in you, to give our lives to you. So Lord, we are we are honored to have this opportunity to rejoice in the resurrection. And Father, we pray that that we would always live in the reality of the resurrection. Let us not go about our lives as if Christ is not risen, for he is in fact risen. And that demands our worship every single day. And that demands our giving our lives to Jesus every single day. And knowing how Jesus is a great rewarder of those who place their faith in him, our giving up our lives to follow you is a small price to pay. In light of all the blessings that you promised to us, so, Father, we trust you for all of these things. We thank you, Jesus, for dying for us. And we thank you for rising from the dead for us. And we pray these things in our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. If you would, please take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke chapter 24, we'll be reading verses 1 through 7 this morning. Last week, we focused on Palm Sunday, Jesus entering into Jerusalem, into his final hours, and a lot happened in that final week of his life. Spent a lot of that time in the temple teaching. He spent one last Evening with his disciples, having a meal together, and in that same moment, being betrayed by one of his disciples, who goes off to carry out with his plan. Jesus then, soon after, goes with his disciples to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. Or rather, they go to sleep, and Jesus goes to pray. Then Judas returns With officials, they arrest Jesus, who's brought to Caiaphas, the high priest and other religious teachers. They interrogate him. They question him, treat him unfairly, unjustly. They deliver him over to Pilate. And ultimately, Pilate delivers him over to crucifixion. And on that Good Friday, Jesus dies on the cross. Then three days later, Luke 24 tells us what happened. Luke 24, verse 1. From the first day of the week at early dawn, they, that is the women, went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we praise you for your word. And God, we pray that you might show us Christ you might show us the risen Christ. Remind us, Lord, and encourage us, God, with the reality that Christ is risen from the grave. We pray that through your word and the power of your Holy Spirit that you would cause us to rejoice. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So here are women who knew Jesus very well. They go to the tomb with spices. At that point, Jesus having been in the tomb for about three days, the body has begun to decompose. There would be an order, so they bring spices to minimize the odor of decomposition. Not only that, but they come to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus. They come to honor Jesus Christ, but they also most likely come for themselves to grieve, to mourn, Go to the tomb and and to find it that it's open. Enter the tomb and they find it empty. And then you have this profound question from these two men in dazzling apparel who are angels, and they ask, Why do you seek the living among the dead? Why would you find the living among the dead? Right, because we mourn. Because we grieve because we wish to remember, because we wish to bring some flowers for the tombstone. We go there because the large cavity in the ground or in the tomb or in the sepulcher is filled with the body of our dear loved one, and our hearts are left with a cavity of its own in the absence of the one that we loved most dearly. Certainly that was probably how these women felt. The tomb that housed the body of Christ and death itself has leached the presence of Jesus Christ from those who knew him most and those who loved him dearest. So it's natural for these women then who come to see the body of Jesus, having witnessed Jesus being laid in that tomb just days ago, It's natural for them to come to the tomb and expect that the body of Jesus would still be there. But as we have just read, that is not what they expect, which then brings us to our first heading this morning, and that is looking for Christ where he is not to be found. These women are looking for Christ where he is not to be found. And look for him because of what they've come to expect, what we all might come to expect. We see that these women, while they may not have expected for Jesus to die in the manner in which he did, most likely didn't even expect Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, to die. They did not expect Jesus to die in the timing that he did. I mean, he was young in his early 30s. And the fact that they go to the tomb three days later shows that they expected Jesus' body to remain where they were last placed. And expect that because, well, the dead remain dead. There is no expectation that the dead should rise again from the dead. And it is something that we do not question. It's something that we all expect, right? The death, As tragic and as evil, as as sad as it is, it is normal. It happens to everyone. But just because it's normal doesn't mean it's right. Just because it's normal doesn't mean that that was how it was intended. Death was never intended. Death was never intended to be normal. Death is never a good thing. And yeah, no matter what we do, no matter how much we try to stop it, no matter how much we try to delay it, there is no stopping it. But if we go back all the way to the very beginning in Genesis chapter 2, we see that death was never a part of the plan of God. Though he is sovereign over it, but it was never intended. Genesis 2.16, And the Lord commanded the man... Adam, who he made in his image, saying, You surely may eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it you shall surely die. Everything was open for the taking, but God said, There's one thing you cannot have, and that is the fruit of this one tree, for in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. So if he had not taken of that fruit, then Adam could have expected to live forever. But it's not what happened. Later on in Genesis chapter 3, he and his wife Eve are tempted by the serpent, by the devil. They eat of the tree that they were commanded not to eat from. And then death enters the world. And so what we see in the very beginning is that death is a consequence of transgression. Death is a consequence of disobedience unto God. Death is a consequence of not honoring God and not revering God and not respecting God. Death is a consequence of sin and transgression which leads to physical death and a spiritual death. Because if you continue to read in Genesis, Adam and Eve don't immediately die, but they do eventually die. But the death that God brings upon the world because of sin is a physical death that everyone experiences, but also a spiritual death that is a life apart from God, an eternal life apart from God. And Jesus makes clear in the Gospels that this eternal existence apart from God is something that you do not want because it's filled with an eternal anguish and pain. And so this is the danger that the scriptures warn about. More to be fearful than the physical death is this spiritual death. But this is why Jesus has come into the world, to do something about death. And Jesus himself, by the way, you can see in his life how he responded to death. You could tell from him, from his reaction, specifically when his friend Lazarus dies, that he did not consider death to be a normal thing. In John 11, verse 33, when he saw her weeping, that is, Lazarus' sister, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid Lazarus? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. The Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Jesus at that point already knew what he was going to do. He knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But he weeps anyway. He's troubled in his heart. Why? Why are you weeping when you already know what you're about to do? Jesus weeps because death, which is evil, has taken the life of his dear friend. Because in his weeping, he communicates to us that, yes, death may be a normal part of human existence, but it is not right. That it is actually an evil to be vanquished. And that it was never intended to be an experience that man goes through. But moments later, Jesus does raise Lazarus back from the dead. And he does this because moments earlier, he says that he is the resurrection and the life. That anyone who believes in him, even though they die, yet shall they live. Jesus intends to do something about death. To resolve this problem of death. John 8:23, Jesus says, You are from below, and I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am He, that is the Son of God, you will die in your sins. So Jesus brings us the answer to the problem of death, and the answer is that you must believe. Now, how does believing in Jesus result in our not experiencing death? Not the physical death. That still remains a part of human existence. But what Jesus saves from is the spiritual death, the worst kind of death. How Jesus saves us from this spiritual, eternal death is through the forgiveness of sins. Because if sin is, or if, if death is a consequence of sin, and because every person sins and so therefore experiences death, Jesus. It tells us that you must believe in me. You must believe in Jesus as the son of God. And by doing so, you are forgiven of your sins, all of them, past, present, and future. And if you have all of your sins forgiven, then you will receive eternal life. Because death, yes, is a consequence of sin, but death is also the means by which God meets out his judgment on sin. And so, if your sins are forgiven, there is no payment left to be made because Christ has already paid it on your behalf. And Jesus proves that he has the power and the authority to forgive sins when, in Mark chapter 2, when uh, some friends bring a paralytic to Jesus, they go through the roof, they bring him down, and he, what does he say? Son, your sins are forgiven. Which angers the religious teachers? How does this man have the authority? Who are you to have the authority to forgive sins? And Jesus says, which is harder or which is easier to say? Paralytic, get up and walk? Or your sins are forgiven? The answer is, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven than to say that get up and walk. because Just because you say that the person should get up and walk doesn't mean that that paralytic who hasn't walked in years is going to get up and walk. But he says, but in order so that you might see or know that I have the authority to forgive sins, he tells the paralytic, get up and walk. And he has no choice but to get up and walk. And thereby proves that Jesus does, in fact, have the authority to forgive sins. Jesus proves that he has authority to forgive sins when he calls out a dead man who's been in the tomb for four days to come out of the tomb, and Lazarus has no choice but to obey the voice of God and come out of the tomb. Only God could do such things. Only the Son of God could do such things. So, thinking back to this narrative, here are this women, these women going to visit the body of Jesus with a great deal of expectations. They come to the tomb expecting to see the body of Jesus. They come expecting that the body of Jesus has remained there this entire time for these past few days. They've expected to find the body of Jesus still there because the dead remained dead. they come with these expectations but this is the son of god remember what one of the crowds said earlier when jesus was visited the tomb of lazarus could not he who could give sight to the blind prevented this man from dying there were others who made similar questions to jesus as they beheld jesus on the cross If you're the Son of God, come down. If you're the Son of God, let us see if God will actually listen to you and hear you. Prove to us that you are the Son of God. But Jesus does no such thing. But he remains on the cross, and there he dies. And yet up until that point, he healed the paralytic. He gave sight to the blind. He called out demons from those who were possessed. He even raised the dead back to life and forgave sin. Here are these women coming with these great expectations, and they probably had a lot of expectations, surely. Certainly, they did have a lot of expectations concerning Jesus. Having known all these things about him, having seen him perform these miraculous works, for the Son of God to actually die certainly was not what they expected. But here they are, expecting to see the dead Jesus, still dead in the tomb. But what they come to discover is actually that the tomb is empty. The stone has been rolled away, and in its place, they find two angels. They bow down to these angels, telling us that these actually are angelic beings who tell them, or who ask them, Why? Why do you seek the living among the dead? they come with a great deal of expectations and they come to find out and discover that their expectations are actually unmet because Christ Jesus is actually risen from the grave. Why do you seek the living among the dead? The only answer to such a question is because I assumed that the body of Jesus would still be there because I expected it to be there because I watched Jesus die. I watched Jesus being buried in the tomb and so I expected Jesus to still be there. But we see that, thankfully, their expectations are unmet. I mean, what would we be left with if Jesus had remained in the tomb? They expected Jesus to still be there, but they should have expected, no, that Jesus, the Son of God, that God cannot actually be held down by death. Without the resurrection, right? what would that mean for our eternal life? What would that mean for our forgiveness of sins? It's the reason why Paul, the apostle, says that if Christ had not been risen, then you and I as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, we would be the most pitiable of all men because we would be believing in something that is absolutely hopeless because ultimately we would be believing in a dead God. And a dead God, ladies and gentlemen, is a contradiction. There is no such thing as a dead God. A God that dies is not a God at all. And that is why Jesus must rise from the dead because he is God. Certainly an understanding that they did not have at the time, but for us, right, it is an expectation that that God does not remain dead but is actually does rise from the dead the death actually cannot hold down god and the great hope that we have through the resurrection of jesus christ is that those who believe in jesus will also follow in his pattern first corinthians 15 20 tells us but in fact christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep or the first one with many others to follow for as a, by a man came death by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead Jesus did not stay dead that tomb was empty Jesus did bodily rise again from the dead And in that we rejoice, we celebrate, we worship God because He has in fact risen from the dead. Regardless of the expectations these women had in coming to the tomb. Now you certainly had your sort of your expectations met before and you rejoiced. You expected something to turn out a certain way. And then your expectations were, were met and you were happy. You were glad, you shared that with other people, but you also had the opposite as well. We had certain expectations, and those expectations were actually not met, and you still rejoiced. Wow, this is going to be the, uh, the worst get-together ever. And you come to realize, wow, that actually wasn't as bad as I realized. Right, your expectations were not met. Wow, well, I was supposed to have an exam today, but the teacher was sick, so I had no exam today. Praise God for that. Sorry for the teacher. I did my taxes and I expected to owe a bunch of money, and I actually did not owe as much as I thought. Praise God for that. Right, you've all been there, having these unmet expectations, and you rejoice because you were glad that you were absolutely wrong. Right? Aren't you glad that the expectations of these women who visited the tomb were actually unmet? Praise God. that Jesus rose again from the dead. And because he's risen from the dead, we are called to believe in Jesus as the Son of God. Not just believe in Jesus as the Son of God, but we are called to believe in Jesus as the one who's risen from the dead. Dear friends, if you are here and you haven't yet believed in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I do wonder what you think about Jesus and when you think about Christ. Maybe you don't believe in him at all. Maybe you believe that he was a real person, but the other stuff, giving sight to the blind, raising the dead back to life and raising himself back to life, no, fantastical made up, probably, most likely, certainly not real. Now, if your expectation is to hear some plausible arguments to prove the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but that's not what I intend to do. And you've probably heard arguments before proving the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm not here to give you all these different arguments to try to prove to you the the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but I am here to tell you this, that if you wait until you hear this one plausible argument, this one thing that's going to convince you that Jesus rose again from the dead, you're going to be waiting a very long time, or you will actually never hear such an argument that will convince you. Because the problem isn't that you haven't heard the best argument to prove it to you. The problem is unbelief. The problem is that you have made a decision to not believe. And that is always the root issue. The problem is unbelief. And There are many people who have been given good arguments to prove the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave— And have actually admitted this is actually quite convincing, but still say, I can't believe, or I won't believe. And if you ask them why, they'll respond, because if this is actually true, if I believe this, then that means that there is actually someone up there who demands my life. the best arguments will never suffice. There's a reason why one of the early church fathers had once said, for I do not seek to understand in order that I may believe, but I believe in order that I may understand. For this also I believe, that unless I believe, I shall not understand. If you desire to understand, you got to first believe, because there is no understanding without first believing. Only by believing will you then understand. And when you believe, then you will understand. And you will understand that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You will understand that only in His name will there be forgiveness of sin. Only through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ will there be any eternal life. So please don't wait until you hear the best argument for the existence of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. Believe in Christ. Choose to follow the Lord Jesus. And then you will understand. Why do you seek the living among the dead? The angels ask. They ask is because Christ is not among the dead, but he is amongst the living. That is where you expect to find him. You see, from the very beginning, these women were looking for Christ where he is not to be found. Then second, our last heading is looking for Christ where he is to be found. If Christ is not in the grave where he was last left, he's not there, then where is Jesus Christ? Where can we find the living Christ? There's a city in the Philippines. I should think it's the capital city. It's also one of the most densely populated cities in the entire world. It's called Manila. I think there's 1.7 million people there. Now, in this particular city, there's a cemetery called North Cemetery. Now, in the city, they actually go through about 70 to 80 funerals a day. And most of the dead are buried in North Cemetery. Actually, they're not even buried. There's no room to bury the dead. Instead, the caskets are left out in the open, placed on top of others. And one of the things that you might never expect to find in North Cemetery are actually living people living amongst the dead. What I mean by that is, there are actually people who are making a living in North Cemetery, sleeping in North Cemetery, eating in North Cemetery, and raising their children in North Cemetery. The catacombs, the caskets, the no longer house, the dead become places of residence, places of sleep. And so here you do find people who are actually living amongst the dead. Again, the angels ask, why do you seek the living among the dead? The living Christ. In other words, they're saying, what business does Jesus have living amongst the dead? You're not going to find Jesus in a cemetery. You're not going to find Jesus living amongst those who are in this eternal separation from God. So where might you find Jesus? Where do we find him? Where do we locate Jesus? Jesus, this is amongst the living. Jesus is amongst the living in heaven. He is seated at the right hand of God, where he is worshiped amongst angels. Spurgeon once said, It is not said that the angels do not cry out, Moral, moral, moral art thou, but they cry out, Holy, holy, holy art thou, O Lord. You know the difference between the two. One is just a dead cry. The other is much more animated. This is where Jesus is. He is amongst the living. He is amongst the living angels who worship him gloriously, wonderfully, because they are animated by the risen Jesus Christ, and also revered and honored by God the Father, who is not the God of the dead, but God of the living. Where else might you find the living Jesus? You will find the living Jesus in his church. The Holy Spirit where they gather on the Lord's day, every Lord's day, to worship the Lord Jesus, because they are animated, because they are made alive in and by and through Jesus Christ. And so they worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Where else might you find the living Christ? You will find the living Christ in believers, in those who follow the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that once we were dead in trespasses and sins, but have been made alive in Jesus Christ. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. John 14.23, Jesus says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. What happens when a sinner believes in Jesus as a son of God who died on the cross and rose again from the dead is that Jesus then takes the dead, sin-filled heart of that person and he makes it his personal abode through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. He changes that, that heart. Now, Jesus is not some sort of interior decorator. He's not like a chip of Joanna Gaines. He's not like... What's her name? Marie Kondo. Have you heard of that person before who helps declutter people from all the garbage and says, just keep the things that make you give the most joy? Right, that's not Jesus at all. Jesus is not some interior dedicator, de- decorator of the human heart, but actually Jesus is a demolisher. Jesus takes the structure of the human heart, destroys it, down to the foundation, excavates that foundation, lays a new foundation, and creates and builds an entirely new home in the human heart where His Spirit resides in those who believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Jesus, the living Christ, who is no longer in the tomb, makes his living and resides with those who live. With those who are living through faith in Jesus Christ. So what does this mean? This means is that those who follow the Lord Jesus are alive to the Lord Jesus. They are alive to the things of God. The living Christ makes lively people. What does it mean to be a lively person through Jesus Christ? It means that you love Jesus Christ. That you love him. That you desire to worship him. That you desire to draw near to him. To be alive in Christ means that you desire to know him. To know him through his word. To be in his word. So somebody I used to work with a long time ago, a great guy, cared about people when I would clock in at work sometimes I find him that because we didn't always have the same schedules and we would catch up, ask how he's doing he'd ask how I was doing I'd tell him how I was doing, and he'd always respond and say, "Tell us more." so I continue oh, this is going on, this is great and stuff and, say, and I, I finished and he says, "Tell us more." So I continue to tell him more and, he's, and he I finished, and he says, tell us more. And I'm like, I got nothing else. (laughs) Someone who's alive to God is always asking the Lord, Lord, tell us more. I understand who you are, but tell us more. Tell me more. I see who you are through your word. I see who you are through the lives of other believers and followers of Jesus Christ. I understand, but I want to know more. I desire to know more. Lord, tell us more. Tell me more. One a person who is alive to God has a hunger for God. They love God. They love his word. And they love God's people. They desire to be with God's people. They desire to serve God's people. They desire to encourage God's people. It's just sort of the characteristics of a person who is alive unto God because that is the kind of person that the living Christ creates. The dead do not hunger for God. They do not desire for God. They do not love God. They do not love his people in the same way that believers love one another. But this is what Christ does, that he transforms the heart, and they love God, they love his word, and they love his people. these women visited the tomb and they found the tomb empty. But it actually wasn't empty. It was filled with something else. And I'm not talking about the angels who stood there and asked them, why do you seek the living among the dead? But Jesus left that tomb filled with something else. What did he leave it with? Jesus left the empty tomb filled with With hope. He left that tomb filled with hope. That is the hope of the resurrection. That is, Jesus rose again from the dead. The hope is, as we think about and look at the empty tomb, that we also will one day rise again from the dead. That is the hope that He left us with. What else did He leave behind in that tomb? He left expectation. He left the expectation that Jesus will one day return again. That his leaving the tomb, that his leaving the earth to ascend into heaven, is just a temporary departure. But when we think about the empty tomb, it reminds us of an an expectation that Jesus will certainly one day return for his people. And he also left that tomb with something else. He left that tomb filled with joy the joy of the resurrection, the joy of the forgiveness of sins, the joy of our eternal redemption, the joy of our eternal security. Jesus left that tomb filled with so many other things for our encouragement. So be encouraged. Be encouraged for Christ is risen. He is risen from the grave. And in that we rejoice. So this morning, I think it's only appropriate to respond by taking communion together. So if you haven't done so yet, feel free at this moment to pick up one of these cups that are in the back if you happen to miss it on the way in. Jesus, in this last meal with his disciples, he instituted this supper and he intended to communicate a deep reality. He says that the bread represents his body that was bruised and battered and crushed for the sins of his people. And that the cup represents his blood that was shed out on the cross for the forgiveness of sin. And that when we take this, that we proclaim the Lord's death, it's also intended to be a reminder of Christ's imminent return. And so when we take this, let us remember that Christ Jesus, yes, in fact, was crushed for our iniquities, took the wrath of God upon himself so that all those who believe in him won't have to experience that, but it also reminds us that Jesus is risen from the grave, that he is living, he is no longer in the tomb, that he is in heaven being worshiped, that he is in his church, that he is in the lives of his people through the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. We do not worship a God who is dead, but we worship a God who is living. And in that we rejoice. So as you take this, do this in confidence. Do this with an assurance that your sins indeed are forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. So don't let this, don't let your sins impede you from taking this family meal together. Jesus Christ was crushed for your sins. If you believe in Jesus, if you confess your sins to the Lord, have the confidence of knowing that you're forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. And you are a child of God, and you do have eternal life with Jesus Christ. If you have yet to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have yet to believe in Him as your Lord and Savior, and your life isn't characterized by the obedience and the repentance that God requires, and we ask that you not take this meal with us, because the Lord Jesus has instituted this meal to be given or to be administered amongst those who believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. For if you do this, the Scriptures warn you: drink judgment upon yourself, for you do this apart from faith. But even as you take this together, consider the gospel. Consider what Jesus Christ has done. Don't wait for the best argument to come around to convince you that Jesus Christ was in fact risen from the grave. Believe today. Believe now that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that Jesus Christ did die, that Jesus Christ did rise from the dead. And today you will be saved and you will have your sins forgiven and you will have eternal life. And so, whether you're here as a member, or a regular attender, or you're here as a guest, or as a visitor, as long as you believe and follow the Lord Jesus Christ and your life is characterized by the obedience and repentance that God requires, not perfect holiness, then you are welcome to take this as a brother or sister in Christ. So I'm going to read to us a passage from Scripture, and then we'll take bread, and then after, read another passage of Scripture, and we'll take the cup, and then we'll pray and worship to one more song. In First Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Amen. Let's take this together. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So let's take this together. Amen. Let us pray. Jesus, you are our Lord and Savior. And it is in your life and death and resurrection that we have life within ourselves. We thank you for this resurrection life. Lord, would you animate us to the things of God? Would you give us an increasing appetite to know our risen Savior. Lord, help us to follow you. Help us to seek you. Help us to run hard after you. Lord, give us the grace, give us the strength to do these things. Lord, help us to continually look to the empty tomb and be encouraged that our Savior is risen from the grave. Help us to continually look to the tomb and be filled with joy, be filled with expectation, and fill our hearts with hope. Lord, we thank you for the incredible blessings that you have secured for us through your resurrection. Help us to always rejoice in these things. So we, we worship you, we praise you, and it is to you that we pray. Amen.
2: Amen. Church, let's stand and worship one more time as a as a body, Lord, to uh, to to our Father. Amen. Let's sing together. Oh, Lord, my rock. Oh, Lord, in my redeemer greatest treasure of my longing soul my God like you there is no other true delight is found in you alone your grace and our ways are finite, Lord. We are a limited people with with limited expectations. And this is why, Lord, we are graciously thankful for not meeting our limited expectations, but instead demolishing our expectations by defeating sin and death and resurrecting for the glory of the Father. God, we can now stand forgiven in the glorious salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ. For Christ is risen. Amen. Christ is risen. The Word of God says, Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, By the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. (laughs) Amen. Church, God bless you. You're dismissed. Amen. You rose. One. You rose. Two you